am afraid of my mother. I do not want to disappoint her. And I know she likes to listen to my homilies, so I had to go get my recorder over there. So if you'll excuse me of that. Uh, several years ago, uh, not several years ago, probably like 15 years ago, I remember talking um, with some people, some Catholic friends of mine, about kind of the different vocations in the church and how you could be a priest, and then, you know, women could be nuns, and also guys could be uh, brothers, and, uh, and, and this weird vocation called uh, monks, how men could be monks. And then we're kind of asking about, like, what does it mean to be a monk, and what, what, why, why would people do that, you know, just kind of go and what a monk essentially defined, what, what people defined a monk to me was, especially in Catholic monasticism or the Catholic tradition, is somebody who, or a man who goes and goes inside the walls of an abbey, a, a basically a large compound, Catholic compound, and spends his life uh, praying and working uh, for the gospel uh, within the compound. And I remember kind of looking back and wondering why. You know, if Jesus looks at us and says, go forth to, the, to the, all the nations and preach the good news, go out and spread the word of God, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, why would somebody, if you will, push that aside and pursue the monastic life? Or for, for women, the life of being a nun. I didn't realize this until years later, that there's a difference between a sister and a nun. A sister is like, kind of like the... The, the, the women who are, the, the, if you will, the nuns, if you will, who, who teach school and go out into the world. Nuns are cloistered, and they, they, they pray for us from behind the grill, basically behind in their own little convent. It's not called the monastery, more of a convent. Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody go and kind of hide in, the, in, that, in that place to pray whenever, whenever Jesus gave us that command? And I think you can point to this passage and ultimately see how... Somebody can pursue what is known actually in the church as the highest vocation, pursue a life as a monk or even a nun. Jesus says in today's passage, you, looking at his disciples, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. He also says, you are the light of the world. Two very interesting things to call his disciples. I personally, and I imagine myself in this situation, I don't know if I would have been too excited about that, being called salt and light. I would have heard of her to be more called maybe gold, or maybe like a diamond, or maybe like metal or steel, or something like that, a little bit cooler of a substance. Why salt? Why light? Why those two things? What's, what is specific about that? And the difference between salt and light versus, say, rubies and sapphires and diamonds, is that diamonds and jewels exist for themselves. Why do we like a diamond? Why do we like jewels? Why do we like gold? Why do we like these precious metals? Because we like to look at them. We like to adore them. We like to appreciate them. They kind of exist on their own. Salt and light are completely different. Salt and light don't exist for themselves. They exist for others. Nobody travels around the world to go in and gaze at salt. Nobody, nobody goes outside and just stares at the sun. That's it. Kids, don't do that. That is not a good idea. I tried that. as a, It was not. Don't, don't do it. Don't, nobody does. Like, that's not a thing. You know, we don't look at these things. We don't look at these lights. We don't look at the salt just in and of itself. They exist to help out others. 
Salt exists to flavor food that we normally wouldn't eat. Light exists to help us see things that we normally cannot see. These things exist for others. These things exist for us. And that's what Jesus is challenging us to be. To be men, to be women who exist for other people, who exist for our fellow men, who live for others. But there's kind of a trick here. You know, I would argue, quite frankly, that the world understands that. The world understands this whole, hey, look, we got to be there for other people. We got to be compassionate. We got to be nice. We got to help out our brother. We've got to look after the poor. We've got to take care of the planet. The world, the world has a generally a pretty good assessment of that. That's not something the world generally will dispute. All right, yeah, yeah, we got to take care of each other. We got to respect each other. That's generally understandable. But the problem with the world today is that they're doing it, and we have the tendency to do it without God. And whenever we start to care for each other and be compassionate to one another without the Lord, things can suddenly go awry. We suddenly become people who help out one another in total darkness. In total darkness. And what kind of becomes of that is we kind of find these crimes of compassion, if we will. We find these crimes of of compassion, which I would call uh, abortion. I would call euthanasia. These things are ultimately people justifying, like, well, we're being nice to to other people. We're We're thinking about other people, which is understandable. We want to think about others. We want to to be concerned about others, but not at the expense of, of another innocent life. That's an example of what it means to kind of have that compassion without also the light of the world, without also the salt of the earth. That's ultimately what Jesus is pointing us out to, is ultimately to have that light and be that salt. Now, the problem that usually comes with that, the problem that usually comes with serving our fellow man, the problem that usually comes with ultimately being men and women for others, is that you and I have a bad habit, myself very much included, of burning out. How many of you burnt out, just gotten so tired of taking care of your family, taking care of your friends, taking care of this, and just ultimately getting really, really exhausted, pouring your soul out for other people. This is a very, very, very common symptom of ultimately being compassionate, of really being a Catholic and being a Christian. We labor, we labor, we labor, and we're like, and we don't even know what we're laboring for sometimes. It ultimately kind of just ends up We just feel ultimately discouraged, and we feel just tired. That's a very, very, maybe you've never felt it. If you haven't, congratulations. A lot of us, though, haven't. And so what do we do about that? Well, the world will often say that the biggest thing that you and I can do about burning out is to take care of ourselves and rest. And I want to say, kind of, that's not a very, I don't want to say it's a bad idea, but it's a dangerous idea. An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest tends to stay at rest. This is, this is Newton's, third, Newton's what, second law or something like that. Ultimately, this is kind of like this goes down to our very physics. You and I, whenever we stay in motion and continue to work, generally do a lot better than whenever we stop and then have to get started again. This is something that's a, a, often a problem. I'll talk to a lot of, I have a lot of priest friends being a priest. And honestly, one of the biggest things and one of the things that we share, one of the things that we we have the most struggles with aren't necessarily our day-to-day life, isn't necessarily how busy we are. It's what are we doing during our off day? What are we doing whenever whenever we don't have anything to do? And it's kind of recovering from that that actually tends to be one of the more difficult things. It's actually getting started after stopping, which is one of the most difficult things, which is why I would argue kind of the modern day vision of rest really isn't that all that helpful. 
Because what does it mean to rest these days? It means to go to your couch, go to your bed, turn on Netflix, and binge watch for eight hours. How many of us feel like all-stars after we do that? How many of us feel like winners after we do that? Generally, I don't. Maybe, maybe you might be one of the lucky few, but generally that's not the consensus. Generally, the consensus is that you kind of feel a lot more sluggish and it takes a lot longer to get going. So my point being is that the antidote to burning, to burning out and the prevention of burning out isn't necessarily in rest. All right, well, what is it? Maybe working out. I like working out. I think working out's a pretty awesome thing. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a, it's a really good idea. I'm generally trying to be at the gym pretty often. But let's be honest. Working out is only, to, only really takes care of the body. How many of us, myself included, will go to the gym, have a great workout, have a great time, and ultimately walk out of the gym, you know, changing our regular clothes and realize, oh, shoot, I've got that paper due. I've got to work on this thing. I've got to do this. And suddenly we're, we're kind of hit back with reality. All of a sudden, it just kind of smacks us in the face. And what happens? We're back to burnout. All right, so the gym is a great thing. I encourage the gym. I encourage working out. Do not get me wrong. But it's not the antidote to burnout. All right, well, then what is? Maybe friends. Friends are good. Friends are great. I encourage friendships. Please make friends. Make friends in here. Make friends with our Catholic community. Friendships are wonderful. But the problem with friendships is that even amongst our friendships, our friends can't always be there for us. Seneca, a, an, an ancient Roman philosopher, said it best. He said, very often after I spend an evening with friends, after I spend, excuse me, he says, very often after I spend an evening with men, I come out less of a man. I come out less of a man, which I think is an interesting point. How many of us have spent long evenings, great dinners? How many of us had a great times with our friends? How many times have a great time with our family? And we walk out and we're just like, oh, I need a vacation now. You know, how many of us like have that, that experience or that feeling? It's very, very common. The fact of the matter is that friends are great. Friends are helpful. Friends are there for us. But I would argue friends are not the answer to burnout either. They're good. I encourage you to make them, but they're not the answer. So what is the answer? After all this long talk, I would argue this. The answer is prayer. The answer is prayer. The other day, somebody asked me the other day, what grounds you? And I had to be honest. The answer was for me, prayer. And they looked at me and they gave me a comment, an answer that, that didn't surprise me. They looked at me after I said, hey, look, prayer grounds me. They go, oh yeah, of course, you're a chaplain. But what else really grounds you? That's where the day's reaction Oh, yeah, yeah, prayer's nice, prayer's good, but, but what more importantly, what do you really do? How are you resting? How are you working out? How are you making friends? That's more important. And there, those things are important, but not more important than prayer. Prayer is ultimately the place where you and I go before the Lord. Prayer is ultimately the place where you and I come before the Lord in our burnout, in our anger, in our frustration, in our weaknesses, in our loss, in our, in our sense of being lost. And the Lord heals us. And the Lord gives us meaning. And the Lord gives us strength. And the Lord fuels the fire that you and I need in order to go out and be a light to the world. We cannot burn without fuel. And the fuel, while we can get some fuel from rest, we can get some fuel from family, we can get some fuel from friends, we can get some fuel from working out, the fundamental fuel of life comes in Jesus Christ. And the only way you and I can tap into that is through prayer. But let's circle back around. How then are we supposed to actually be a light to the world? What's the best way to do that? And I would argue that prayer is actually the best way to do that. Back whenever I was on the, on the Eisenhower uh, for my very first tour, 
uh, as a Navy chaplain, basically first deployment, first everything. Uh, I had this, this idea that maybe I could be a light to the world if I just made friends with people. If I just went out and, you know, we bonded, had some great relationships, you know, made some, some awesome friends and bring them back to Mass. You know, I was a junior officer, still am, and then, you know, I was very happy to bring in other junior officers and, you know, maybe we'd be all right. And I'll never forget, like, about halfway through the cruise, uh, I had this, like, you know, this, like, this, like, compadres, these like compadres of junior officers who were all Catholic. We ate breakfast together, we ate lunch together, we ate dinner together, we would sometimes, I gotta confess, we would sometimes play video games together, we did a lot of Super Smash Brothers, you get, you know, you're kind of bored during deployment, not a lot to do. And after all of that time spent with each other, they came to Mass one time. One time. It was a surprise. It really got, it really opened my eyes. I was like, wow, this is, this is exactly what life's all about. We're making friends and bringing people to Mass, right? But it didn't really work. And that's whenever I kind of realized that, you know, we can work very hard in the vineyard. We can do everything we can to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to, to ultimately to, to befriend those people who are away from Christ. We can work extremely, extremely hard to do all these things, and they're all important. It's essential, that, it's essential that we make friends with our enemies. It's essential that we take care of those that are hungry. It's essential that we clothe the naked. It's essential that we look after others. But it's not the greatest thing you and I can do. And that's whenever I realized that ultimately the greatest thing that I can do is pray for my friends. Sure enough, after, after months and months and months of praying for my friends, a number of them actually started going back to Mass. A number of them actually started becoming better practicing Catholics, and of them actually, you know, really started to kind of read the Bible and get much more involved. My point being is, very often the thing that you and I can do whenever we just want to throw our hands up in the air and say, I can do nothing no more, is to do just that. To throw our hands up into the air, look at the Lord, and say, Lord, there's nothing else I can do. And that's essentially what it means to be a monk. That's essentially what it means to be a nun. Is where, where these men and these women Go before the Lord day in and day out and pray for you and pray for me. Pray for our friends and pray for our family members. That's why it's so important for us to not be afraid to reach out to these, 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 these monasteries and reach out to these convents and give them prayer intentions, something to, to, for them to pray about. Because let's be honest, at the end of the day, you might have friends, you might have family, you might have people you want to bring closer to the Lord, you might have people you want to help, but you can't do it. So what do we do? We pray. We pray and we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and enter into their lives and do wonderful, marvelous things. And so, my dear friends, may we have that spirit of prayer. May we have recourse to prayer. Prayer in order to fill us up, to prevent us from burning out. And prayer so that we may serve our fellow man. Amen.